the live stream. <laughs> Praise God. Somebody might be listening. You never know. You never know. You know, you never know who that we wouldn't think would be logging in and listening, might be listening. So, amen. He would that all men might be saved, wouldn't he? Amen. And so we've been talking this month about growing in self-discipline. And so the, the key scripture that we've been using this month has been out of 1 Timothy 4, verse 13 through 16, and it reads like this, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. This is Paul talking to Timothy. With the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, meditate upon these things. Don't just receive it. Don't just say, okay, I got it, and stick it in your back pocket. But meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Like the the athlete that's getting ready to go to the Olympics. They give themselves wholly to training and preparing themselves for one race or you know, one swimming race or one skiing race, whatever it is they're doing, they're preparing for one event for their best time. And so give yourselves wholly to them that, that thy profiting may appear to all. And it'd be a very, it, it's very apparent when that, that athlete is standing on that top, top little step at the Olympics and receiving the gold medal that they've done their, what they needed to do to get ready. Right? That it might appear to all, take heed unto thyself. We gotta take heed to ourselves. This is what this whole subject has been about. Self-discipline. Take heed to yourself. And under the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, if you do all this stuff, you shall both save thyself and them that hear thee. Can I tell you that people are watching us? There's people in this world when I say this world, I mean like the world system, you know, out there where some of us used to be, that God delivered us out of the pit, and there's still people out there that need to come out of that pit, so we don't say that in a condemnatory way, but people out there in the world are watching, because in their mind, they know that person's Pentecostal or at least Christian, and I know they should be acting a certain way. And so they kind of know sometimes, you probably heard this before, better than we do, how we should be acting. So it behooves us that we do the right, that we do the things, not just do the thing, do the right things for the sake of doing the right things, but that we present a good testimony. Because it is our testimony. So, you know, you have to kind of ask yourself sometimes, what is my, you know, not that you care what people think, but it's important that you have to ask yourself, you know, the Bible says examine yourself and see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself. What would you, would you follow you to church if you were somebody else? If you saw somebody undisciplined and claiming to be something that their actions are saying that they're not, would you feel drawn to that? I wouldn't. I'd say, well, I can act like that. And not go to church. So we got to be careful. And, and the Lord didn't call us into this and save us into this for us to not 
be a light and a witness. You know, we read in the book of Acts, they went from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship with all the people. And the Lord gave them favor with all the people. Why? Because they were doing what they what they were being instructed by the disciples and the apostles to do. It was all new to them. And so they wanted, those 3,000 wanted somebody else to know. And there was probably curious people that weren't there on Pentecost that wanted to know, what happened, what happened, what happened? I, I, I didn't get to go to that conference. I didn't get to go to that meeting. What happened? Tell me about it, right? Anybody ever done that? I want to get the DVD. I want to get the CD. I want to go on YouTube and watch it. I want to know what happened, right? So we got to bring that testimony to people out there, right? I want my testimony to be awesome. I want there to be no doubt. And that enemy is going to come up when you're trying to share your testimony and share why you do the things you do and act the way you act and why you have the discipline in your life that you do. And that enemy is going to come up in your life and he's going to try to stir up that spirit of fear and doubt and unbelief in your life and get you to not say anything. Anybody ever experienced that besides me? Right? But God's not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. That's, that word fear there means being timid. But he's given us love, power and love and of a sound mind. You know, I, I, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I can tell you how I got saved. I can tell you the things that he delivered me from because I know. He delivered me from smoking, literally, overnight. He took it away from me. I tell people it was like he took a hypodermic needle and just just sucked that stuff right out of me. Next day, it was like I had never smoked in my life. Couldn't stand the stuff. Been like that since that day. I know that had to be God. Had to be. As many times as I tried to quit on my own, couldn't do it. Wasn't about me doing it. It was about him doing it it was about me submitting just you know saying i give up i can't do this god i've been waiting for you to say that (laughs) here you go and he did that while i wasn't even in church so that's a faithful god right there (laughs) he didn't wait till i was in church to do it He, he let me be delivered of that praise god so we're talking about self-control. The dictionary.com says that self-control is control or restraint of one's, of one's self or one's actions, feelings, etc. And then I added thoughts, words, opinions, and comments. So it's restraint. Everybody understands what restraint is, right? It means you, you control your words. You control what you think. You you decide if you want to dwell on that thought that the enemy has put in your head. When you're when you're down on your knees praying, and that weird thought comes in your head, and you're going, "Where did that come from?" And you know where it came from, and you just have to like like birds landing on your head. You need to say, "No, you're not building a nest on my head." And so we have to be careful because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we, we have to be diligent, this, the scripture talked about. Be diligent, the doctrine that we've received and all these things. It's all about restraint. It's all about deciding who is it that I represent now. And how do I want to represent him? 
right? Those I'm going to refer to those athletes again. They are over there in whatever country representing the United States, right? Not just in the sporting event that they're doing. But when they're out walking on the street eating dinner or whatever, they represent they represent the red, white, and blue. So every action that they do and everything that they say, and we've we've probably heard of things in the media of some of these athletes getting over there and doing some really dumb stuff and not representing our country very well. And so we have to think of in terms of that. Am I is what I'm doing are my actions in keeping with scripture, is it a good representation of who God is? And, I, and once again, if I had to be, if I had to be the person I'm trying to reach, would I want to go with you? Looking at yourself in the mirror, saying that, right? Does that person show restraint? Do they, do they have, do they, are they exercising the discipline that I would expect a Christian to do? Amen. So self-control in the world, kind of a thought that came into my mind, and self-control in the kingdom are very similar, but they're very different. If you look at in your own life, before you got into church, before I got into church, I was able to exercise self-control as a human being. In some respects, I was taught that by my parents and then reinforced by the military, but through my life, I've exercised self-control. When I got my driver's license, I might have tried to speed at, at the beginning when I got my foot underneath all that power, but after I saw those red and blue lights in my mirror a couple of times, I'd said, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Circumstances and things caused me to say, I need to exercise some restraint, <laughs> some self-control. I didn't want to keep meeting the same cop every week, right? And so we, we even early on in our life, in the natural, we learn to exercise self-control. When we, when we get old enough to get a job, or, or, or we're in school, we know that there's a reason why our parents trained us to have a bedtime. Because you need your sleep. So you exercise restraint and you don't stay up all night. You say, okay, I got, it's X o'clock, I gotta go to sleep. Right? And after a while it becomes a habit and then you don't really have to think about it anymore, right? Because you've exercised that restraint to the point where You've created a habit in your life, and you don't have to keep telling yourself to do it. You just subconsciously look at, okay, it's 9.30. I go to bed at 10, so I better start heading that way, right? So self-control in either case is basically telling ourselves one two-letter word. No. What was it? No. Telling ourselves no. No. I'm not staying up late. No, I'm not having another donut. <laughs> Even though the guy brought in two dozen and there's still a dozen and a half left, I don't, I, I don't feel obligated to go have, I don't feel bad because the guy bought all those donuts and nobody's eating them, Sister Bell. I just have to say no and, and keep walking past them. Or I'm not going to be able to wear the waist size pants I'm wearing right now. And there's repercussions, isn't there? Whether we exercise self-restraint or self-control or not. So those are things that come into play when we exercise self-control. The consequences of our actions, right? It has a lot to do with recognizing in ourselves the need for restraint and then acting upon it. 
I can't keep doing You know, when I got in church, there were certain things that I was doing. I was going to the gym regularly. I was in the military, so I was trying to stay fit so I could pass my PT test. But I was taking it a little further. And I was, you know, doing the whole thing in the mirror and trying to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and looking at how pretty my muscles looked and all that. And I, when I got in church, so God just started convicting me about that. And I just, one day I said, I can't keep doing that because I'm giving glory to me. So I quit doing that. So then I, but then I kept going to the gym, but then it was like I kept feeling tempted to go do that because, you know, they've got mirrors everywhere. So then I had to just quit going to the gym because it was like I have to take myself away from that so that I don't feel the temptation to do that anymore because God's not getting the glory. I am. And if God, if that's what you're telling me to do or stop doing, so be it. <clears throat> so we have to examine ourselves constantly, really. And it's not that we weren't examining ourselves before. There's a lot of people in the world that exercise self-restraint and self-control. Some of those Olympic athletes, most of them aren't apostolic, but they probably, to some respect, exercise more self-control than we do as apostolics. They only eat certain things. You know, they keep their diet strict. They go to bed at a certain time. They get up at a certain time. They do, they do things, you know, in a way that prepares their body to, to, to deal with the grueling, whatever thing is they got to do. And so in the spirit, spiritual sense, we have to do that same thing. And I'm just trying to kind of, I guess you could say, wrap a bow around everything that Brother Parker has talked about in the last several weeks and just kind of bring this thing into a, to a landing, to a close. So bear with me. Psychologists say that on the average, human beings make about 35,000 Choices a day. 35,000 choices a day. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But this guy in this book that I was reading said that his wife is a psychologist, and she said, and other psychologists say, that we make on average about 35,000 choices a day. So they all must be right. But if you had to sit down and think about it, I mean, just the little choices that we make. Am I going to hit the snooze alarm one more time or two more times or maybe three more times? Because I'm looking at that clock and I know it's going to take me X amount of minutes to get up and do my shower and get ready and, and do all the stuff I got to do because I got to be out the door and in my vehicle and on the road by this time. So just in, in the first 10 minutes of being awake, you're already making probably several hundred decisions what to eat for breakfast, Right. I mean, just all kinds of little, small little choices that we're making every day. And we're basing those choices on something in us that's that's driving us, that's telling us how to make those decisions, how to make those choices. And where whether we make choices one way or the other depends on kind of what, what, what those choices are built upon, if I'm saying this right. And so ours are based on the doctrines and the things that, that we believe that God has put in us when he put his Holy Ghost in us and what's in this book, this Word of God. And so that's why we we dedicate ourselves to reading this the bread schedule and reading our Bible and we, we, we feed ourselves with this Word. Why? 
Because, you know what they say, garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you put in is what's going to come out. The more of this we have in us, the more we can feed off of and make decisions based on what this book says without having to constantly refer to it. Which is, there's nothing wrong with referring to it. You know, and they say, you're, you know, if you're having issues or problems or whatever, go to, go to this book. Let it talk to you. Let it tell you what you need to do. How you need to handle those situations. You know, casting every care upon him. Just a little scripture like, simple scripture like that. Well, what does that mean? That's a choice you make. You know, the pond of peace. <laughs> you ever heard that? We all have this little pond in our life called our pond of peace. Great peace have they that love thy law. It's that peace of God that passes all understanding, right? So one one minister referred to it as a pond of peace that we have in our life. And if you think of a peaceful pond, what do you think of? Just a placid, like glass, right? No waves, just just... You've seen them in pictures, right? Where you can see the, it's like a mirror image of the trees on the other side of the lake, right? Think about your peace in God being like that. Well, if you don't have peace in your life, there's all kinds of waves and, you know, lake, like all these big lakes out here, Lake Michigan, they said it can be like an ocean when the wind gets blowing, right? Imagine your lake, your pond of peace being like that. So when your pond of peace is like that, you can't hear God. Because you're so, you're so filled up with all the cares and all those waves represent the cares of this life that you keep hanging on to. Right? So then go back to your pond of peace, all nice and peace and peaceful and placid. And here's your, here's your issue. Here's your problem. Here's your, your thing that you're, that you care about. And he said, cast every care upon him, right? So you have a choice to make. Do I hang on to this and cast it into my pond of peace and upset the water where I can't hear from God because I'm so worried about all this stuff? Or do I cast it on him? Leave my pond of peace at peace. Right? So it's a choice we make. It's all about self-discipline. Am I going to trust God that he knows what he's doing and that he knows that I'm going through this right now? Surprise, he knows what you're going through. Right? He allowed Job to go through that stuff. And Job acted like, he's cursed me and he's just left me for dead. And he just, he just, he's not even around. He can't even hear me right now. I mean, Job was just, you know, he was out there. And some of us get like that when stuff starts happening in our life. You know, like Naomi. She thought, man, what did I do wrong, God? Why'd you take my husband and my two sons? That's, if you read the Bible, that's what it says. You know? And we get like that. But God had a plan, didn't he? Because what? who was Ruth? Her daughter-in-law. Who was Ruth? King David's grandmother. Right? <laughs> so Ruth wouldn't have stayed with Naomi if, if the husband that she married hadn't have passed away and Naomi hadn't have said, I'm going back to to my my city and she would have never gone with her and she he she would have never met Boaz who was King David's grandfather right great grandfather right great grandfather you see so sometimes things that we're going through God's put that there for a reason 
And we still have to exercise restraint and self-control and decide, okay, God, I, I gave everything to you. I gave you control. Am I going to trust you? You know, we have, we have to have a lot of talks with ourselves, not out loud in front of people, but we do. We have to have a lot of talks with ourselves. How many do that? You don't have to raise your hand. I do it. I do, I do it a lot when I'm on that highway between me and God. I, I talk to myself sometimes and then I talk to God and then I wait and he talks to me. But we have to have little talks with ourselves and we have to decide, just like I was sharing downstairs, there came a day where my wife and I said, okay, we're not, we're new in this and we, we kind of are sort of committed to it, but we had to make a decision. Are we going to do it all the way? Are we going to do it part way or not at all? And we decided we're going to do this as hard as we did stuff we did in the world. So we made a decision. We exercised self-control and said, I'm not going back to that. I turned from that. I repented. I walked away from it. I'm not going to kind of inch back over close to it and see if it's still there. I'm just going to walk away from it. Amen? So we exercise this restraint. We, we have these little talks with ourselves. We ask ourselves little questions like, should I say this or shouldn't I? Or how should I say this? Sometimes it's not in what you say. It's in how you say it. We have to think about the repercussions of that. That's exercising restraint or self-control. Even in the natural. Should I go here or should I do this or should I make this decision? And what happens if I do and what happens if I don't? See, we could build up to 35,000 choices real quick in a day, right? So we, we, we have these discussions with ourselves. Well, will this please God? Or will it make him unhappy? You mean God's unhappy? He, he has hurts? He sure does. He does. Am I following scripture? Is what I'm doing according to the book? Right? How will this affect my witness? We already talked about that. Am I being carnal or selfish or bitter? And if I am, what am I going to do about that? Is that pleasing to God? You're, here you are back to that question again. Because you realize that when we went to the altar and repented, he honored our our meager repentance and he filled us with the Holy Ghost. So he, what did he do? He came in alongside of us and said, I want to have a relationship with you, so I'm going to live inside of you. So really, self-restraint, self-control and all this is really all about submission to God. Because really, that's what we did when we received the Holy Ghost. We totally submitted ourselves to the point where he was allowed to use our tongue to speak another language that we had never learned before. And so when we did that, we married up with him. We we immediately had a relationship. And if anybody ever in here has been married, one of those little things that they say in those in the vows is that forsaking all others. Right? We said that. Forsaking all others. It doesn't matter how pretty they are. It doesn't matter how much money they got. It doesn't, none of that matters. I've made my choice. Right? 
We, we can all say that. I've been there. We've made our choice. This is the one for life, period, end of story. Not changing my mind. And so we, we have to, we come into a relationship with God like that. And so just the same as we exercise restraint and self-control and saying, I'm not looking at another woman. And it, it doesn't just happen just because you decide that once. It doesn't. You have to decide that every day. I do. Don't, please don't take that wrong. <laughs> but we have, to, I have to get up every day and say, God, I'm nothing in this world I want. I'm serving you. I still had, I still get up every day and tell her I love her. She tells me, is it, is it because we thought, we think we might forget? No. I just don't ever want her to think otherwise. And it's, it's part of it. I'm telling myself. No other. Period. I'm not, I'm not going back on that. And so we have to have, we enter into that relationship with God and we have to maintain that same kind of relationship. Right? We find it easy sometimes to kind of go back on God. And how does that happen? Start staying out of the Word, start staying out of church, start hanging with people that aren't going to be influential in our life, that's going to build us up and edify us and cause us to want to stay this way. Right? It's all about self-control. It's all about restraint. Paul was saying in Romans 10:16 he said but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Right? Anybody ever read that before? They have not all obeyed the gospel. And that word obeyed in the Greek means to listen, to attend, hence to answer a knock at a door, to attend to, submit to, obey. So it's really all about submission. This thing that we're talking about, self-control, is all about submitting our will to his will. The perfect example, Jesus Christ, when he went up there to pray, before he was crucified. He, what, what was he doing? He was trying to get out of it. Father, if this cup could pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but thy will be done, Jesus. Jesus told his father. He said, because he, he was 100% man and 100% God, right? And he felt pain. He felt hunger. And he, he felt all those things. Anger. When he, when he took that whip out and drove him out, the money changers out of the temple. He felt all those things that we feel. And he didn't want to have to die in the, in the flesh. He didn't want to have to feel the whips and he knew what was coming. But he said, nevertheless, and we, we, when we made a decision to serve God, we didn't know all that. We don't know all that's coming, what God's going to ask us to do. Nobody, none of us do. But we make that commitment, just like marrying somebody. You don't know what's coming. You have no idea what's going to come down the road 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road in that marriage. You have no idea at that point when you stand at that altar and make that commitment. But you make that commitment on faith. And so we did the same thing. We got married to Jesus. We made that commitment. We decided that day, forsaking all others, I'm doing this. 
I'm not turning back. I'm done with that world out there. We need to stick to our promise. And every day it takes commitment to being willing. I put in here, willing submission is really nothing more than self-restraint or self-control. It was a willing submission, wasn't it? Nobody's making me do this. Nobody's making me do this, right? Nobody's making you come here. Nobody's making you serve God, are they? You're doing it because you want to, because you love him, because he loved you. And because you went through the process of whatever that process was to get you to this place, you came out of the world, you you dabbled with the world, and you felt the pain of living in this world. You felt the regret. You felt all the things that you feel. I could go on and on with that. But you made a decision one day, I'm done with that. I'm not, I don't want anything more to do with that. And so it takes a restraint and a willingness every day. Every day, every day, every day. It's telling yourself that you are not in control. Ooh, that's a toughie. Right? Sounds easy, doesn't it? Telling yourself that you're not in control. When stuff is happening in your life and your life is upside down and you don't feel like you have control over anything, it's really, it's real hard to say, okay, God, I submit. Not as easy as it sounds, is it? It's not. <laughs> We're like Joe. Why? Why, God, why are you doing this to me? I love you. I'm serving you. Why are you letting this happen in my life? Usually he doesn't answer. But, you know, he told Paul, when Paul tried to pray some kind of trial and thing, that some thorn in the flesh that he was dealing with, what did he tell Paul? Right. No, Paul, I'm not taking that out of your life. You need that. Because of all the, the, the things that are, and, and the revelations and all the things that are going to come to you, Paul, I need to make sure that you don't get all lifted up in yourself and think that that's all you and you get all glorified in yourself. So I'm leaving that thing in your life to help you. Right? And he said, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Right? <laughs> I guess you could say God will help us exercise some self-control sometimes he'll just let some things happen in our life to kind of keep us you know james i think talks about the trying of our faith and god doesn't tempt any man does he but he allows things he allows temptations because he said there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man and he says but I will, with the temptation, what? Make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. I'm helping you exercise some restraint in your life that may be in an area that I think maybe you might be weak, so I'm going to help you a little bit. How many don't want to be perfected by the process that God has us go through where we have to go through the fire, right? Gold tried in the fire. Anybody ever heard that before? How? Why, why do they try gold? Why do they do that? Purify it, right? They heat it up and they skim off all the dirt and junk in there, the impurities. 
They let it cool and they heat it back up again and they scrape off some more impurities till it's pure gold. They didn't put anything but pure gold over all those pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. Pure gold. You read it. So he's not going to let pure gold, anything but pure gold. And so, God, whatever you got to do to help me stay saved and be saved, if I have to go through it, bless God. If Jesus can, can say right before his own crucifixion, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't understand this, God. I don't know why I have to go through this, but I know it's for a good reason because these, because he, what did he say when he was on the cross? He said, yeah, it's finished, but he also said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't want them to, to be, have to be blamed for crucifying him. He had that much mercy with nails in his hands and feet that he was willing to pray that prayer for them. God, please don't hold it to their charge. They have no idea what they're doing. Right? He loves us enough to let some things be in our life like he did Paul to keep us from getting all lift, lifted up and puffed up and thinking, I got this now. I'm in control. I'll call you if I need you, God. We don't do that as apostolics, do we? No. Yes, we do. (laughs) So 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost were exercising self-control, weren't they? They were exercising submission. They were all Jews. And they all had been Jews their whole life. You think about that. They had been Jews for centuries. They had traditions and things that they had done for centuries. And Jesus is coming along and saying, I'm doing away with all that on the day of Pentecost. And and I'm starting a new thing. And I'm going to have a new covenant. And there was 3,000 in that multitude that said, I want that. And there was many other thousands that said, "Yeah, not right now. Let me see what happens with these uh, other 3,000, right? Right? Is that, does that sound like people today? Right? People aren't, aren't any different. But 3,000 people exercised some restraint and some self-control, and they said, I'm willing to submit and just throw and lay all this down, even though I don't understand it. I can't explain it, but I, I want what that, I want that. With those people in that upper room, just, just God, I want that. And they were willing to do what they had to do. And they were added to the church. What an awesome place to be in, right? To be at the launch of the church. It's even more awesome to be at this place where we are. Because the final harvest is going to happen in our in our time. So my guess would be that those those people, those other thousands, weren't willing to submit themselves to something they didn't understand or couldn't explain. or that. Even worse, they couldn't control because they wanted to still control because it was the Jewish people, the Jewish religious people that crucified Jesus, and they were the ones that were controlling everything from a religious standpoint. And that's why they crucified him because he was trying to usurp their control and tell them, you're not in control, I am. When he said, I am, that's when they said, blasphemy, blasphemy, because he was calling himself God in front of them, and they they couldn't see 
Even though they knew the Scriptures, even though they knew the prophecies, even though they knew Isaiah 9 and 6, they could not see that that was Him. Right? <clears throat> Anybody ever heard the song, Jesus Take the Wheel? Huh? They don't play that much. Jesus Take the Wheel, right? That's That's a story about a single mother and all that, and She's, life is just, you know, her pond of peace is just this nothing but waves. And she just says, throws her hands up and says, Jesus, you take the wheel. I'm done. I've messed this thing up. My self-control hasn't, it's just been about me, myself. Right? <laughs> I think about that word sometimes. It just kind of bugs me. Self-control. Right? What's supposed to die when we come to God? Self. So. Is it really, Pastor Parker, I'm sorry, is it really self-control? Really? No. My my estimation, my opinion is it's God control. It's Jesus control. Because if I'm submitted to him, if I submit my will to him every day, and, you know, at first when you come to church, it's hard at first. You, you're, you're really, you're, you're, you're struggling like the Jews did. You're kind of, you're kind of having to shove away some of this stuff, but the more you submit your will to him, the easier it gets. And then after a while, it becomes more of a habit, I guess, if you want to say it that way, of submitting your will to him than than it used to be. Then you don't even have to hardly try anymore because you're so accustomed to submitting your will that then it gets to that place where you really have that peace, where you just say, his will be done, not mine. Right? And so that's really what self-control, this is my way of kind of, I guess, buttoning this up. And this is according to Brother Demuth, but it's really about submitting our will to his will. Because you had to do that to receive the Holy Ghost, right? You really did. Because he wasn't going to force you to talk in tongues. He's not going to force you to serve him. If you think about it, he gave us this will, didn't he? He gave us that ability to choose, right? That human will. And God is not going to usurp the thing he gave us. That's why he gave it to us. He wanted us to choose to love him, to serve him. He didn't want to make us do it and be a bunch of automatons just doing it, right? Just because we have the Holy Ghost doesn't just mean it's just going to automatically happen. Right? Am I wrong? It's it, it the Holy Ghost is there as our as our guide and, and to, to remind us, hey, you sure you want to do that? You sure you want to say that? You sure you want to go there? Right? Because who do we represent? Not ourselves. Let them see Jesus in me, right? <clears throat> Praise God. It should, that song should be Jesus take my will. <laughs> right? Not Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> I had that. Maybe I'll write that song. Jesus take my will. Really? Think about that. If he has, if you submitted your will to him, how hard is it to exercise self-control? Because <laughs> you're not in control anymore if you submitted your will. Right? 
He's in control. That's right. <laughs> because he gave you that free will to do that. Right? We got this flesh to deal with every day. So self-control as a Christian is really about what? Giving up control. And allowing God to be in control. And yeah, it's not a scary thing. It's not like letting a, an alcoholic take the wheel in your vehicle. He's, he knows what he's doing. He loves us. He's not going to hurt us. He's not going to do things to us out of spite. And he's not going to make life miserable for us. It's okay to let go and let God be in control of your life. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He'll lead you to those people that need to hear this gospel. He'll lead you to those situations. He'll lead you. He talks to us every day. Does he not? The question is, are we listening for his voice? Do we know that it's him talking to us? I strive for that every day that I wake up and every night that I go to sleep, that I would know his voice so clearly that the minute he speaks, I know it's him. I'm not there yet, but I'm I'm trying to get there. I want to know so succinctly that when it's him speaking, boom, I just do whatever it is he just said to do. That needs to be our desire. When, once we get to that place, <laughs> exercising self-control, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but once again, when you're submitted to God's will, you're really exercising self-control. You're giving up yourself. I don't mean to keep repeating that. Judges 8.23 says, And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. So we need to tell ourselves that. God is my, he is my healer. He's my deliverer. He's my shield. He's my defense. He is my strong tower. He is the one that chooses where I go and what I do. When God spoke to me in that parking garage in, in February, February 21st of 2015, and said, you will go to Wisconsin and you will serve me there. I literally put my hands up in the air and said, I submit. I don't understand it. I don't know if I like it. But this is, I knew that it was God. I knew it was him. And no sooner than he said that, than this other voice came into my head and said, Oh man, you, you know, that kind of negative stuff like that, right? No way. And I knew who that was right away. And it wasn't God. And it wasn't me. The enemy immediately came and tried to steal that thing away from me. And I said, Oh no, devil. I'm in the parking garage of my, my employer. I said, Oh no, devil. Too late. <laughs> he already spoke and I already submitted. Sorry. And here I am. I don't know, I don't know why. It doesn't matter whether I understand it or know why, does it? It's all about submitting. It's all about doing what God said to do. He'll, you know, we sing that song, but do we really mean it? And we'll understand it better by and by. I have to believe that. I have to throw that thing in that, that thing at Him. Cast all my care upon Him. Whatever I care about. God, you know. That's a good, that's a good one right there. God, you know. 
right? <clears throat> so self-control as a Christian is really very simple. I, I just didn't say it was easy. It's not, is it? But anything worth doing or worth having is worth working for, right? Or something like that. It's worth the, it's worth the effort, isn't it? It's worth the effort to be with Him in glory. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to have this. <clears throat> you know, there was a talk about submission. There was a, a centurion guy that had a sick servant, and he went to his he went to his the people in his home. He was he was so submitted. And and the Bible says in one place that I read that he loved the Jews enough that he actually built them a synagogue. And I, it doesn't say that it's him, but I almost think that's Cornelius. But anyway, but he sends his uh, some some other people from his house. He's a centurion. He's over a hundred soldiers, so he's a he's a high up military guy, right? And he sends these people to speak on his behalf and says and tells Jesus that my my servant's sick, but but I'm a man under authority. And I speak to this one, and he does that, and I tell this one to do this, and he does that. And and so you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word, because I recognize your authority. I know who you are. I, I And he was a, a devout man, apparently, and he, he recognized who Jesus was, and he said, you don't even have to come to my house. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus stopped everything he was doing right there. And what did he say? If you're looking for it, it's in Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 9. He said, I've never seen so great a faith. This man understood self-restraint. He understood the the, the concept of authority, right? He understood that not only was he an authority, but in order to be an authority, he had to be under authority. If you can't have somebody in your life that can tell you no, and you can't, if you can't be under authority, how can you be in authority? That's why we have chain of command in the military. There's always somebody to answer to above you. Right? Always. So we we have to understand that. And this guy, to me, was exemplifying this whole concept of self-control and recognizing who he was and his place in God. So last thing, and I'm done. This one little statement here. And I... God gave me this on the way home. Self-control really boils down to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Where is our relationship at? If we have a a healthy relationship with a person and we're respecting one another and we're we're listening when the other one's talking, we're not disrupting and interrupting and, and all those things are happening in a marriage relationship or in a friend relationship, that relationship's going to grow and grow and grow and get stronger and after a while, you don't even have to say anything, do you? <laughs> There's just some looks sometimes that I get that speak volumes, and I don't have to know what she's saying. I just know that I better do whatever or stop doing whatever. You all know. You all are chuckling and laughing. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Because the relationship has gotten to the point where words don't have to be said. All it takes is a look. <laughs> right? And sometimes all it takes is just a still, small voice from God. So the the question about, to me anyway, about self, 
discipline and self-restraint is where is your relationship with your maker, with your master, with your father? Because if you're building that relationship with your heavenly father, the the whole idea of self-discipline and restraint and all that's going to just come with it. Because you're going to have that attitude if you really love your heavenly father, if you're really interested in pleasing him, you're going to be interested in what pleases him and not my will, Father. It's it's your will, right? Is this okay, Sister Linda? You want to push stop? I'm done. Praise God.